listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, Jeff Riggs, and me, C.C. Broadus. Down to the 16th pole, he's still there, it still gets smoking, Santine for stopping, on the inside spooky channel, Cat smoking every step of the way, wins the Kentucky Turf Cup, Fernando De La Cruz waves his whip in victory. The Auxiliary Gate, big problem. Go. Hello, friends. Welcome to Auxiliary Gate, episode number 157. I'm CC us I'm joined on my left by Alan Schneider. Alan, how are you? Fine. I haven't been on this in a while. I, I, I think I missed the last one, didn't I? And uh, so I'm trying to get back in the swing of things. It's probably better without me, to be honest with you, but I'm back, I guess. Oh, don't say that. Uh, you Are you one of those that probably you, you might need one off the break? Uh, yeah, well, you know, third start off the form cycle, I mean, probably like the 11th start off the cycle, uh, I would say off the bench, usually. Starts or beer? Uh, starts. Uh, I think up to about the 11th, 11th off the, off the, off the bench, I could probably fire a nice big fat 37 buyer. I'll give that my best shot here. What are we talking about? While we're talking about beer, is it, if you've got more than one glass of beer, is it beers or beer? Is it like a plural beers? I guess it depends on what you make the plural. You can have, I'm having, well, a good point, two glasses of beer, or I think it's two glasses of beer, right? But I have two, I'm drinking two beers. You're drinking two beers? Yeah. Which is it? I'd, I'd say it's glasses of beer, right? And it's two glasses of beer. Or eight glasses of beer if you're Brandon Jaggers today, right? That's exactly right. But now, before we get to Brandon, we want to bring in our other co-host, Jeff Riggs, the lovely and talented Jeff Riggs. How are you, sir? Well, thank you. Doing very well. Uh, good to see Alan back again. We had Brandon on last week. I know he's uh, out doing the, the Kentucky Downs thing today. All right. So this guy, Brandon Jaggers, took a, he took a jet. This is no lie. He took a private jet from Louisville to Franklin, Kentucky. I don't know where he landed this thing. He said he was going to land it right on the racetrack. But he, he, I swear, he took a private jet from he's Louisville. He's not lying, folks. He's, he's not, not lying. lying. We've got pictures of it. And he, he, he flew from Louisville to, with some other buddies, some of his uh, racetrack gang. But, yeah, they flew down there and took in the races at Kentucky Downs today. He was having a good day early, and I think he might have tailed off late after I gave him a, a loser. Well, like today. Uh, how many how many tickets do you think Brandon played today, right? Show uh, four, play 75? Uh, yeah, I was going to go over under 100. Yeah, 25. at least, yeah. Um, it's probably about a seven-minute flight down there isn't it right uh i would guess it i have no idea it's like an hour and a half from my house so maybe hour and 45 minutes but he threw some money down i think he had a good time though it's in the middle of the week yeah and jeff you went uh last weekend um i did yes i went last weekend i did not have the vip experience that brandon did i did not have the private jet and i wasn't in the vip area i checked out the the quote unquote new general admission down there. And, um, I have to say I was a little unimpressed. We were just, oh, really? 
Yeah, we were kind of just roasting out there on the hill, and they just they made it very obvious that the uh, the common folk were not allowed to go and, and mingle with the with the VIPs, Brandon and his crew. <laughs> I I um you know this is not the, I didn't make a bet at Kentucky Downs. I watched maybe four races. It's nothing against anybody else. I mean that's just what I decided to do this meet. A lot of people did. Whatever floats your boat. But you touch on something, Jeff, and a lot of people talk about the, the takeout issue and stuff. That was that angered a lot of people. But and I think Cece may have touched on this in my absence uh, about Kentucky Downs. The, the seating arrangement is, is equally people go on and on about the boycott, and I understand that. I'm, I guess I joined in on that. That said, the issues down there with the, the seating and the, the exorbitant prices or whatever that's as much of a, a deal uh, to me as anything else or whatever. So. I, I guess you would echo that sentiment a little bit as far as uh, that goes. I agree with you. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I've been pre-COVID and it was, it was definitely a more, it was a more enjoyable uh, experience at that point. Uh, I don't, I don't know that I would return for the same experience I had last weekend. I, I would have to go with the VIP uh, experience and yes. that would only be if, you know, I got a deal on it. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I know how you feel about that, CC, with the the, uh, the 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 amenities down there for uh, how they've kind of you know, kind of outpriced uh, some of that stuff, right? Well, I was looking for. I, I can't find the tweet now, but it came from or what? Are, what is it now? It's not tweet. It's Twitter. It's X. I'm looking for the X that uh, our previous guest, our past guest, Billy Denzik, posted. And I can't find it, but it's something to, to the effect, of, you know, now that Kentucky's got probably the best purses in North America. Oh, there's no question. There's no question. Now it's time. It's now time to improve the product, like as in the on-track product. I'm I talking about that. Well, the experience, the race day experience. You know, like Jeff said, I don't see me making a trip down to Kentucky Downs anytime soon. I love it down there. I wish I could go. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to go, you know, pay a hundred dollars to sit inside a tent. That's just not yeah. not something I'm interested in doing. But I, I, I want to take my lawn chair down there, sit down at 16th pole, and watch the horses go by, and watch it on the big screen. But it's it's time for the these tracks. And Ellis is in that group Turfway. It's time to improve the experience because you want your people to come back for generations to come, and that's. You- yeah, I agree. You make you make a good point, and the fact that, because um, from a personal standpoint, I find myself drifting away from racing a lot more at times as I'm getting older and stuff. I still follow Kentucky and stuff, but you probably you probably tell us me that. I mean, plus all the other obvious issues that we all know about and stuff too. But I find myself it's like if you don't watch it, I'm going to teeter off that cliff. I feel like I'm bouncing a little bit anyway. So, to your point. You don't want to lose the guys like me, right? Who's one of your biggest supporters and stuff. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I concur. Okay, uh, enough complaining. We, we've got plenty of time to, to talk about that stuff down the road. But we have a special guest this evening, and uh, one that uh, uh, probably thinks a lot of the Kentucky Downs experience. And we're I gonna bet he does. I guarantee it. And we're going to get to him right now. Okay, as we mentioned uh, just Seconds earlier, uh, this gentleman that's on the line with us right now had a big week, a really big weekend, uh, as his uh, horse uh, gets smoking won the mile and a half 
$1.7 million Kentucky Turf Cup. I'm speaking none other than of Harlan Malter, who is the basically the the, the operator of uh, Iron Horse Racing. I'm sure you've heard of them. You, you, you probably recognize the, the light blue silks uh, of another horse that, that, that carried those uh, those colors in, in Bucaro, who was a, a, a great stakes winner and, and made his way over to Royal Ascot. Uh, Harlan, how are you doing, sir? Great. I'm uh, I'm recovering from uh, a little bit of screaming on Saturday, and uh, the voice is uh, slowly coming back. Well, you got you got some nice pipes. Let's just put it that way. You you, you got a voice for radio. That's for certain. But it's it's interesting. My brother my brother was a play by play announcer out of college. He the Hickory Crawdads. He was the play by play announcer. We have very similar voices. He uh, he actually used it professionally. So I, I appreciate you telling me that. That's cool. Yeah, you you definitely have something to fall back on if if whatever you're doing doesn't work out. That's for certain. But uh, uh, well, first of all, let's, we, we got to talk about this horse get smoking. I was reading the, in the daily racing forum. I believe that uh, they they kind of hint that you come up with some really harebrained ideas for your horses. But I think you got the last laugh, right? Well, it's funny you say that. I'm. Uh... You know, when I first got into horse, I was a college baseball player, and um, I think, you know, a lot of people have played sports when, when you can no longer do it. It's really an empty spot in your life uh, of that kind of competition and uh, the preparation and the, uh, you know, just the execution. And, uh, you know, I filled that for a couple of years with fantasy football. Um, and that's, uh, that, that, that kind of, you know, listen, it's a very enjoyable, but I, I kind of made my way to horse racing and I, I just love, you know, the way I look at it is that this is my best chance to be a general manager. And, uh, you know, I get to pick the players. I get to pick the coaches. I, you know, have a little bit of say in, in, in what we're all doing and, uh, smoking really kind of fit that mold because, uh, you know, we got a horse that came to us with some serious credentials already. Uh, uh, Tom Bush had done an amazing job and Mary Bell Sullivan had, you know, found the horse from her stallion. And, um, you know, I had some thoughts right off the bat. And uh, I think the crazy part uh, probably comes from uh, what we did pretty much right off the bat with, with, with the Colt. I mean, the gelding, um, you know, Mark and I have a very, very good relationship and uh, I really res- Mark Cassie. And I, I really respect him. And, uh, you know, one of the things he said to me early on, he said, look, Harlan, you know, you have some experience. I've been following you. I know, I know what you bring to the table. You know, we're going to do this together. And, you know, you come to me with these ideas and, uh, you know, some are going to work and some aren't. Well, we bought him. He had won the Tampa Bay, uh, the Tampa Bay stakes the year before and we just bought him and targeted that. And he came back and he, Ran a great race. We got beat by a horse that I hadn't really heard of at that point, Cheryl Spite, who went on to be a grade one winner. Um, so yet another uh, kind of uh, tough knock for, for smoking. And uh, I guess I came up with the hair brand idea that, you know, here's a horse that had been going a mile, mile and a 16th and just getting caught. You know, maybe if he went shorter. Um, and he had the credentials and uh, uh, we, I got myself invited to go to Dubai and uh, we, we went and took him and ran six furlongs and, uh, as Marcus Hirsch said in the DRF article, um, probably wasn't Mark Cassie's idea, and they lost by 45 lengths. So that was really where it started, uh, some of the crazy idea and kind of uh, me really wanting to uh, figure what needed to be done for smoking to kind of really get uh, that, you know, extract that talent. He's a very specific talent in my mind, and uh, it took us a little bit of time to find uh, the right spot for him. Did you go to Dubai with the horse? I did go to Dubai and, uh, 
It's a great experience. It was a, a better experience for me than for, uh, for smoking. Um, they do a great job over there. Uh, uh, they put a, put a great program on. There's a ton of enthusiasm for it. I'm a, you know, I'm a huge Ascot guy. A lot of the same kind of connections, uh, were over there that I got to spend some time with. And, you know, look, we felt really good about smoking over in Dubai. Um, and look, I think anybody who's watched a horse and, and, and watched horse racing, you have a mile or cutting back. You assume you're going to sit for a little bit. The speed's going to go out in front of you. What we figured out that day is get smoking is not going to let a horse in front of him because that gate's open. These are world-class sprinters and he dropped a 22 and three to make the lead. I knew I was in trouble at that point. Now, Iron Horse has some partners with this horse. We want to give credit where credit's due. Uh, Black Ridge Stables, TNT, Equine Holdings, and Saratoga 7 Partners. Go back to when you bought this horse. How did you put this partnership together, and how did you, how did you go about acquiring and get smoking? Well, we got lucky, and I, you know, credit, credit where credit's due, absolutely. Um, I had worked earlier in, uh, earlier in my career with Phil Hager, um, and he had, he's a bloodstock agent at Lexington, does a great job, and, um, he had actually picked out Get Smoking as a yearling, um, uh, for Mary Bell Sullivan. She had, he'd been looking for, for, um, for horses for her, found this horse and bought her. Uh, he had stayed involved in, in the relationship. He was friendly with Tom Bush, and, uh, when they started to kind of look to, 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 uh, shrink their stable slightly uh this horse kind of became an opportunity and um phil presented it to me i'm very appreciative of that and i went out and i had already done some uh some ownership with blackwood stables they're based in lexington fantastic group i was lucky enough to be there uh at ascot this year when they won uh they won with their two-year-old uh, crimson advocate which was just an incredible experience they're having quite a year uh as great as get smoking they won get smoking they also won over at royal ascot um so it was exciting to have them come on board tnt is based out of michigan um father son great guys and uh really enjoyed being with them and then uh saratoga seven uh peter edwards uh he's been involved war dancer we've had some Italian talks. He has war dancer at Bucaro and another great guy. So I was just, uh, as I always say, the reason I started the syndicate is there's nothing. I mean, look, the three of you guys sitting here talking horse racing. I think you know this feeling. There is nothing better than owning a horse with somebody else. You know, when you can, when you can enjoy uh, the preparation, the ups, the downs. And I think we all know that the ups are so rare that when they're there, boy, you want to celebrate them with everybody. So getting a great team. These guys are great. They were game to do it. And, and I'll be honest with you. They've kind of, along with Mark Cassie, they've gone along with some of, uh, some of the ideas I've come up with with the horse. So it's, it's been a team effort and uh, it's been great to be with them. How many members? How do you structure? First of all, how do you structure your partnerships with uh, with Iron Horse? How many owners or, or, or shareholders are with uh, with Get Smoking? Right. Well, they're not, they're not really shareholders. They, so they all come in as partners in in uh, each of horses its own individual partnership. So basically, we go out and uh, we're a little bit different than a lot of the other. Uh, a lot of the other major syndicates, you know, we're, we're kind of at the point where we'd like to feel like we're, 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 we're getting closer to West Point, Little Red Feather and Eclipse. Um, they have a slightly bigger budget. I watched Terry's interview yesterday, uh, talking about the, uh, reasonably placed $3 million yearling they bought. Um, <laughs> as I said to my partners, we haven't bought a horse for more than 200,000. And, uh, you know, we've been to four Breeders Cups in the past seven years. If all goes well this year, uh, get and get smoking there. And we kind of pride ourselves on value. Um, 
my background is of I've had a financial planning firm for 25 years and and that's what I do for my clients and I kind of just transitioned it over to horse racing. What I did with with Iron Horse, I really wanted to create a partnership that was partners partnership centric. Um, you know, we don't buy horses to sell them. We put partners together. A uh, perfect example, we're heading off to the sale um, next couple of days and uh, we'll put a group together before we even go there who are committed to buy their partners in a partnership and we'll buy some horses. Um, one of the big things that we don't do is we don't mark up the price on the horses until after. Uh, so every opportunity, every partner has an opportunity to come in and pretty much as if they just owned a horse with a couple friends. Hey, let's go to, let's go to Keeneland and buy a horse. That's how we set up the partnerships and that's the way they can pay no markup. And, um, you know, I think it's the best way. I, my, as I tell my partners, uh, I, I'd like to be here until, you know, I, I can't get on, uh, I can't get on my phone and, and watch a race or type some of the internet with you guys. So, you know, I'd like the money to last as long as possible. So I'm always looking for value. I'm always looking for the best, uh, you know, the best way to manage it for the partnership. And, uh, you know, it doesn't get you in, get you on TV every Saturday, but uh, if you you kind of zig when people are zagging, sometimes you can do it. You said four of the last seven Breeders' Cups you've been a part of. Who are, uh, I know Bucaro's uh, right, we had we we will be if if Get Smoking runs in yeah. this in this year. We we had Momos in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. Okay. He uh, won first out at Saratoga, ran third in the Saratoga Special against a somewhat slow horse named Jackie's Warrior. Um, so that was not a great year to have to run in the Saratoga Special. Um, but uh, we we ran in the Breeders' Cup uh, Turf Sprint and then you know faced a horse named Golden Pal. So you know there's always one out there that's going to get you. But um, we had Momos that year and uh, hopefully I'll get smoking back. And uh, we have a couple horses coming down the pipeline. We have some nice stakes winners, uh, some close stakes placings this year. So uh, we're always working toward uh, you know trying to get to that level. Well, let's get back to get smoking here real quick. I want to talk about this horse. This, this guy, he's got a ton of early gas. Uh, he's always he's always on the on the on the front end. Uh, I got to be honest with you, I I lost hope. I singled him in uh, my late pick four or pick five at Ellis Park on August sixth when he ran in the preview, and that was going a mile and a quarter. And he 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 set. I wouldn't call it a it wasn't a tepid pace, but it wasn't a it wasn't a fast by any stretch either. But the, he he kind of did what he always did. He just kind of. He, he set the pace and then horses would come up to him and then he'd just give up late. And like this time he finished fourth, beating a length. On August 6th, what made you decide to stretch him out and go maybe a mile and a half in the Kentucky Turf Cup? Right. So, so Ellis was a prep. Um, that was a race that we wanted to see Kenny carry it a mile and a quarter. And what we found based on, you know, really the performance slash, you know, speed ratings, he was the same horse at a mile and a quarter as he was at a mile and a sixteenth as he was at a mile. Um, you know, I, I often say that the horses, there are, listen, there are horses that hang. Um, I'm not going to say get smoking hangs, um, but I think hangers should fall into two categories, some that really do hang and other horses that just are running a style of race that um, doesn't fit how they can finish. And if, if, if I can expand on that, uh, Get Smoking has a very, very high galloping speed, and, and that is really his skill set. And, you know, to me, uh, going longer gave us more time to do what he's best at. 
Mm-hmm. That's always been my goal with him after I realized six furlong was not going to be it. There aren't a lot of mile and a half races out there. Uh, and to tell you the truth, there's not a lot of lower level a mile and a quarter races. And it's hard to just say, hey, I'm going to go run a grade one mile and a quarter race at Saratoga. So we kind of, you know, you know, kind of danced around and that Ellis race was the target the whole year. He thrived. Uh, he, Mark does a phenomenal job down in Ocala. He has amazing assistants, David Carroll and, uh, and, and his wife, uh, who gets on the horse and helps with the horse, massages the horse, does th- sorts of things like that. He's thrived at Churchill. David has done an amazing job. So our goal this whole summer was to stay at Churchill. Um, and the Ellis race was, believe it or not, this is going to make a target race. It was more of a target than the Wise Dan that we, you know, we run closer to win. And once we saw that he could get that mile and a quarter, uh, we were all systems go. This was a plan that probably was, you know, four or five months in the making to get to that Kentucky Downs race. Lest we forget, we, we cannot leave out the, uh, the, the other part of his remarkable story, that's uh, you, you guys legged up Fernando de la Cruz, who it, doesn't get these type of opportunities very much. And, and if anybody's ever listened to our podcast over the last 156 episodes, we always champion the the guys that don't get the opportunities that are, are really remarkable horsemen. And I, I applaud you for giving de la Cruz the opportunity. Now, what, what brought that about? Well, I want to say the first thing I want to say about Fernando. Fernando is about the nicest person I know in horse racing. So, uh, you know, there is never a day he's not smiling. There is never a day that he is, it seems to not be just thankful that this is what he gets to do for a living. So the first thing I want to say is there's not a guy more deserving than Fernando to get that opportunity. Um, look, we, we kind of fell into Fernando as time went on um, uh, with Bucero, and he kind of became his main rider. Um he is a very, to me, he's a rider. Uh, one of, one of the funny things about Bucero is he did not change leads often. Um, and there's a lot of kind of top jocks and, you know, even top trainers who they don't really like when the horse kind of tells them what to do. Um, Fernando just was going to ride this horse wherever the horse was going to take him. And he really fit Bucero really, really well. And he kind of let him do what he wanted to do. And this was spot on on what I wanted to do with Get Smoke. And that this was not a, this was not a, yay, there's no jockeys left. Listen, there's plenty of jockeys that were ready to get smoking. Fernando was the plan. Fernando was the plan the whole time. Um, and Get Smoking, I, you know, there are certain horses that in my mind you can trust. You can trust them to do what they need to do. And I think you see a lot of, you know, I think, you know, you hear about, you know, you know, New York turf racing or this, you know, where, you know, the jockeys are taking too much of a hold or not a hold enough. And look, I mean, I, listen, I've been on a horse one time my whole life. Um, so I think I'd be holding on pretty darn tight and, you know, but some horses like Bucero, what Fernando did so well with that horse is they just were in sync. Uh, there wasn't a lot of tugging. There wasn't a lot of holding. Fernando was doing his thing. Bucero was doing his thing and, and it really worked. And, and I really felt like get smoking needed the type of jockey that was going to trust the horse. And if you really watch the race, I'm not certain Fernando whips the horse the whole race. Um, uh, and you know, listen, I had sat before and I said, Fernando, this may be a complete, this may be a complete disaster. We may get to a mile and a quarter and that's as far as he can go and you just get him home safe. We are totally fine with that. But I got a feeling this horse is just going to keep going and just don't get in his way. 
And Fernando, you know, followed like a T. You know, I watched that race quarter by quarter, and it was it was what we had discussed. We, you know, we had a plan that wasn't just go to the lead. Uh, there were multiple parts of it that needed to be done. That uh, uh, I'll leave between Fernando and I, but uh, he executed them. It, it's out there; you can watch. He executed it perfectly. And look, Fernando, it, it, look, it's a lot about horse racing. I think you guys all know, you know, Tim Gleishaw, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, a good horse can make a uh, a trainer look good. Uh, Tim has done it, made a lot of not so good horses look pretty good with the way Tim trains. He's a great guy. Uh, he has his own, his own personality and it's an acquired taste, but you know, Tim did such a good job with, uh, with Bucaro and Fernando was a big part of that team. So, you know, to be able to have, uh, it, was, it was kind of funny because I don't think Fernando had a mount the entire Kentucky Downs meet. So to have him roll in, he came down about two o'clock. I met him in the parking lot. I said, look, yeah, I want to get I want to get this out. We we had our discussion, and uh, boy, when I saw him kind of you know waving his fist up in the in the air, you know, uh, after the race, you know, I was just super thrilled for him. One point seven million dollars. Does it seem? Does this seem like a dream? <laughs> just you know, it's like it's it's. Uh, do you allow yourself to to think about winning races like this, or you you just not not want to get disappointed, or how how, how do you? How do you go into a race like this with with you know he's he was a long shot he was twenty to one but how how did you uh how do you how do you how do you control yourself in some, in these situations yeah well look I, and I think I listen I think most owners are going to tell you this and and it sounds I hope it doesn't sound empty in saying you know the money the money is really a secondary thought because let's be realistic if the race is a three hundred thousand dollar win and you're in like the race at Del Mar the weekend before we'd be just as thrilled right uh the money is obviously fantastic and adds a real amount of cachet to the race uh, and it's going to pay a lot of bills because you know you, most of our owners don't just own one horse right um you know I've always found that that uh you know the one good I think most owners know that the one or two good horses pay for a lot that um that maybe weren't paying their way so you know while the money was really amazing because again, I think it just, it, it kind of indicates it's a serious race. I mean, this isn't a race you just happen to pick up the, the condition book and go, ah, hey, you know, I'm going to enter this race a week before. People are targeting this race for a long time. So to win it with the types of trainers, owners, connections, jockeys that were targeting this race to go do it. Um, I have such respect for all those uh, those people. Um, so to get there and do that, you know, like I said, the whole Cassie Barn did a phenomenal job to get us there, and 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 the money is is awesome. Uh, but I will say this, and I've said this before. I said this right when we left uh, Ascot. Someone asked me about you know what the experience of running Ascot, and I said, man, the fact that so many people saw Bucaro. The fact that so many people could appreciate what I saw in Indiana Grand, you know, in the morning, um, you know, on a world stage. This one is, it's almost, it's, it's eerily similar. Here's a horse that, and I, I you know, you can search it on Twitter, but, um, a relatively major handicapper after the, um, the Ellis race. He, I know you were disappointed about the loss. Um, this was in the stitch race, I believe. And, um, the guy tweeted after the he, he loved get smoking in the race, and you know I thought smoking around a huge race in the wise day, and we get beat by Flavian Pratt, right? You know who's you know probably the best turf rider maybe in the world. Um, I'm not sure any other rider gets to us, and the tweet was get smoking is an effing rat. <laughs> oh, no. I think I saw that. I think I, saw, I actually and and. People who write things like that, and look, I, I don't know the person, and trust me, I've been, there's levels of frustration I've had when I've lost bets, and I don't blame them for it. But 
it's that it's it's knowing that your horse is giving 100 percent every race. And when he loses, he knows it. I really believe that he's that type of horse. Um, I'll, I'll tell a quick story about Bucaro. Bucaro, if you go over, go back and watch the uh, Breeders' Cup, uh, the turf, the Churchill, uh, the turf sprint on Derby Week. Um, he ran against a horse named Vision Perfect. He was one of the favorites in that race. And Fernando's on Bucaro taking the turn, and Paco decides instead of turning, he's just going to take Bucaro out, mm-hmm. and he basically broadsides Bucaro. I mean, just, it was stunning the horse stayed up. And Bucaro, you know, most horses, that's the race. Bucaro put his head down, grounded out, ran a good third. Well, I'm going to tell you what, this is a quick story. Uh, Tim has a big barbecue for um, Derby Day. So that was Friday, it was a Derby Day. And I came, we both got there early in the morning. And I went to see Bucaro. He was in the back of his stall, back of the stall. And I, you know, I kind of said, what's up, bud? Come over here. He pinned his ears back and took three strides, rushed at me, and then turned back around and went to the back. So I go back to Tim. I go, you know, I think you need to check on Bucaro because this is this is a cool horse, man. He does not act like this. Tim said, what are you talking? You guys, I don't know if you guys know. What do you know? What are you talking about, Alan? You know, let me, let me go down there. He goes down there. He goes in. And within five seconds of Tim's confidence, he has been bit by Bucaro. Wow. Well, they put three cones around Bucaro's uh, stall that day. No one could go near him. He stood in the back. And I'm telling you, that horse was sound as could be. Nothing ever came of it. He was effing pissed. <laughs> and there are just, and, and I will stick to that story. People can tell me, you know, maybe he woke up in the run. He was pissed. He knew exactly what had happened. And I truly believe Smokin's that type of horse also. And he felt it. And, you know, when I see people kind of be like, you know, these horses are laying it out, man. And so when when he crossed that finish line, you know, you can watch the video. I went out there and, you know, you can't hear me, but I am just talking to Smokin like, you know, you did it, man. You know, you did it. Like, you showed everybody. And, uh, you know, that's really, you know, so you asked about the money. I, I kind of went in a big, big full circle. Honestly, it's, it's, it, it's hard in the horse racing business to really – to make it about the money because it's going to be hard to make it. So you just want to be able to pay the bills. And, you know, these moments, you know, I'm not going to, and my wife won't listen to this. You know, this is a top five moment in my life, man. You know, those, those 30 seconds is, as he clear here, cleared that line. And, uh, you know, the, the money's far down the line, but it is nice to get it because it does pay a lot of bills. Right. Last question for me before I turn it over to these guys. Uh, uh, I'm assuming, I think I read this, that uh, Get Smoking is now going to target the Breeders' Cup turf at Santa Anita. Is that correct? That's it. That was a win and you're in. Uh, so, uh, you know, look, here, here's, uh, I said this to Matt Bernier after the race. I said, you know, I, I can see why everybody was discounting Get Smoking in this race because, you know, he had lost going a mile and a half so many times. He chuckled, obviously, because he had never gone a mile and a half. Well, right now he's undefeated a mile and a half, so <laughs> we figure we might as well try the second try. Look, I've been over, I've become very friendly with a lot of European people. We're actually, I don't know if you guys know this, we're sending a Bucaro yearling over to uh, James Ferguson's yard. Um, uh, he just hit quarantine, actually, and we're going to campaign a horse, a Bucaro over in, in, in the UK. So I've become friends a lot. So I know darn well what these mile and a half European horses are all about and how much up against it the Americans are. But, you know, listen, the horse deserves a shot. Uh, we're going to go and give it our best chance. And, you know, we obviously got to make sure he came out of this race in good order, but that's the target right now. 
Well, we're going to cheer for him. That's for certain. Uh, who's uh, who's up next? Jeff or Alan? You got any questions? I'll go. Mr. Harlan Malt? Yeah, I'll go real quick. Uh, you're talking about paying bills there real quick, uh, Harlan, but uh, I paid a lot of Fernando's bills. I can do math, you know, simple math pretty quick. I know what Fernando made that race. He, he probably made about six figures right there, low six figures in that race. My well, so I, I, I did it just because I was interested. I thought it was fun. I, I figured his average purse was about 25000 you know, when you look at Indiana the, from the top to the bottom. Uh, so I think that was just over 64 wins in two minutes and 28 seconds. Not a bad two minutes and 28 seconds, right? Not bad at all. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. You're, 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 you've said, you're, you've told us before we, we, we went on, you said about here, you were screaming. It's a mile and a half race. Kentucky Downs has that long stretch at the end. It's uphill, blah, blah, blah. And you've got a front runner. And you know there's some classy horses coming behind you, right? But they never really came. At what point before the wire did you know you had it? How, how, how far before the wire <laughs> was it? I mean, or did you, you, you didn't want anything to happen and wait to the wire? But I mean, it looked like with that 16th left, he was a winner, right? Yeah, well, it, uh, that's a quick story. So we're doing, a, we're, they're doing a piece, uh, Great British Racing International is doing a following us trying to get a Bucero to Ascot. So we had a horse named Mattingly debut for us in the stakes to try to get to Ascot. And they videoed me. And they said, boy, you're boring watching a race. Um, when, when I'm watching, maybe I'll yell for the jock to kind of keep coming, keep coming. I was silent. <laughs> there was not a word coming out of my mouth. And I think that's why I lost my voice because the man, I probably didn't allow myself to think this was going to happen. Um, until I knew he, when I was riding the line, he needed two more strides and just momentum was going to get him there. And I'll tell you exactly why that was my first time to come down. And boy, they do an amazing job. Uh, boy, I really want to bring a horse back there. Uh, obviously maybe my glasses are colored right now, uh, with, with the result, but we had a tremendous time they were a fantastic hosts uh it's a great facility um but that was my first time there so my real experience has been betting it and i joke all the time and i'm sure everyone else does you think you won that race before they go to the last camera angle oh yeah oh yeah right amen, brother amen yeah you you go to the last camera angle and you're starting to like you, you can lose by 10 lengths once the camera angle changes so you know <laughs> look from, yeah exactly so from where i am you know it's very interesting i am Hyper analytical and, uh, you know, to, to, to every, you know, like I said, we had a plan to the quarter with Fernando. Um, and what had happened prior and the way he had come home, um, the way he was coming, I, I felt like he wasn't stopping. And I, part of me feels like he had dragged some of those horses out of their comfort zone throughout the race. And why, and you know, people look, it's, it is what it is. That's what's so awesome about horses. Everyone can interpret it in different ways. I think that obviously a lot of people feel it was a speed bias track and he got that bias. Uh, you know, and that may very well be it. And it might have really helped us get over the hump, but I feel like, um, you know, where he was on the racetrack at the whole race, everybody kind of had to, and pull along and it's possible some of those horses didn't have the kick they normally would have had uh you know maybe had they been a little bit more comfortable early but look i don't know if you guys watched the gallop out it's not like he just kind of took a step over the line you know he kind of kept on going uh it was his day it was his yeah. day you know he did great they had him so well prepared um and you know boy do i have a lot of respect for all you know brendan's horses were right behind brendan i have so much respect for him and i know he had his horses ready um, so, you know, I'm going to chalk it up. We had one great day and now he's got to go prove it all over again. 
I'm sure he will. You know who this horse, and I've always liked Get Smoking. I know he's a classy animal, but I'll tell you, and I bet you Cece agrees with this. Maybe Jeff does too. The horse he always reminded me of is Smooth Like Straight, who was a really good miler. I think he's on the West Coast. He's right here in Kentucky. He ran second in the Arlington Million. He was that miler who always seemed to run his race, but always ended up running second or running close third or something like that. I always had Get Smoking in that type of mindset with myself, but I did think the mile and a half would work for him. And as it turns out, I actually undersold him a bit because now smooth like straight never did get over the hump. It seemed like, uh, I don't think he could ever got a mile and a half. You proved me a little bit wrong there. And the fact that this horse is better than that horse, Do you know, the horse I'm talking about smooth like straight. Yes. I know. Listen, I know him into, you know, listen, I, again, I'm, I'm a student when it comes to my horses. So smooth like straight has been on my radar. Obviously, you know, he retired, but you know, last year we were trying to avoid him because he is a speed horse, right? You know, yeah, exactly. that was the, that was really the issue with, with, with smoking and, and managing him is we really, you know, we tried to avoid speed, uh, because I'll tell you what, get smoking. He does not have any chill. At all. So, you know, when he goes, he's going. And, um, so smooth like straight is a, was, it was a real talent and he was dangerous for us. So I don't know if you guys, it's funny you mentioned him because you can go back and look. Um, the Hollywood Derby, uh, I think smooth like straight ran second. Get smoke and led that whole race a mile and an eighth as a three year old. Uh, that oh, yeah. was when he was with Tom Bush. And, uh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think it was, I don't remember the mix. He lost by a length, get smoking after leading the whole way. And it was, I think, Goofo, Smooth Like Straight, Domestic Spending, or Decorate Invader. I mean, it was just a world-class race. Big-time, big-time horses. So it's, uh, not surprised he has now had such a big payday, right? I mean, I, I just looked at his earnings. I'm like, wow, that, that really boosts your earnings when you went for $1.7 million, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's funny because I've been complaining about this for a little bit because, you know, I, you guys, I'm sure, both know we stand, I stand Bucaro. And, you know, as a sire, you're looking at earnings, right, as a, as a metric. And, you know, if you're a horse that's going to have horses running in Kentucky or in New York, um, you know, you're, you're winning $120,000 main special weights. The Bucaros are running great numbers, you know, winning a $40,000 one in, in Gulfstream. So it's hard to catch that. Exactly. I did see this right after the race. Get Smoking is now the 10th highest earning horse in, in, in America. <laughs> Isn't that something? Isn't that something? So, uh, it's, it's, yes, Kentucky Downs has added a whole new metric to, uh, to, to jumping, to jumping, uh, spots in the, in the leaderboard. Before I turn over to Jeff, I actually do want to touch back on something that we talked with. Cece uh, got out of you at the beginning of the podcast. Two things. One, you said your brother was a play-by-play caller for the Hickory Crawdads. Now, I, as, is that, would that be the Hickory, North Carolina Crawdads, a minor league baseball team? Am I right about that? That's exactly what it was. This is probably back in 96-ish, 97. I'm old. That's awesome. Did you ever yep. go to the games? I didn't. So I played college baseball. He ended up being a – yeah, being the play-by-play announcer at, at, in the same college, and uh, he 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 kind of pursued. It's very similar. My, I don't know what my parents did, right? He went off to uh, he went off to try to do um, you know play-by-play announcing, and I went off to try to uh, win horse races. So uh, not super practical uh, practical jobs, but uh, we both definitely go for our dreams. Well, that that actually sounds like they've been pretty successful. Now, I do want to touch. You said you were a college baseball player. Where'd you go to school? What'd you play? How good were you? <laughs> um, I went to Columbia University in New York City. Right. Um, 
Ivy and I, I was a pitcher. What was that? Was that Columbia? Is that the Ivy League or not? That that is, they are in the Ivy League. Yep. Well, so you're smart too. <laughs> wow. Well, as I've as I've said to many people who went to Columbia, it helps when you can throw 90 miles an hour. I guess so. So you were a pitcher. Yes. So I, I pitched, uh, I pitched for a couple of years and enjoyed that. I ended up having shoulder surgery that, uh, kind of cut the, the major league dream short. And also my dad made me a righty, even though I write lefty. And I had about every scout tell me, if you were lefty, we could do something. But, uh, that's where we are. So I loved it, loved it. And, and, and to tell you the truth, if I hadn't played college baseball, I wouldn't own horses. It, it's just, uh, it's just, uh, you know, this, this kind of competitive juices and, and being involved in this is, uh, you know, kind of been there from the start. Could you hit? Were you a hitter too, or were you just a That was, okay, then you're going to get the quick story. I got recruited as a catcher. I was a catcher in high school who could throw very, very hard. And freshman year, I got to Columbia, and there was, you guys can look him up on the, look him up on the baseball. There's a guy named Frank Seminara, who had played baseball for Columbia, and then pitched for the Mets, and Mets, Padres, yeah, a good six, seven year career. And he came in, I'm a freshman, I'm, I'm a young freshman, actually. I was, I was 18, seven, just turned 18. Anyway, I get off the bat, and he throws a fastball about 93 miles an hour on the inside. I hadn't even started thinking about swinging. Okay, and that's that's the first pitch. Okay, settle in, settle in. Next pitch is 93 on the outside corner. I don't even get the bat off. <laughs> okay, okay, this is fine. We're good, we're good. Next pitch, he throws about 88 miles an hour directly at my left hip. Oh, God. <laughs> and I'm going, that's it. My, you know, my hip's going to be in 11 pieces. Well, about five feet in front of the plate, it starts sliding across the plate and I drop my bat like, you know, someone who's never picked up a baseball bat in my life. And I walk back and I said, I better figure out how to do something in baseball. It doesn't involve hitting. <laughs> uh, so I went to the coach and I throw pretty hard. Uh, let me see what I could do pitching. So, uh, yeah, it is the, the difference, they jump from high school to college baseball and in Columbia's division one, it, I, there's nothing tougher. And I, and I, and it is a good segue. I just want to just, uh, cause I, I say this about Bucaro and it fits this right here. And this is what's neat about a horse like get smoking. That elite level of horse, they all, a lot of them look the same. A horse that wins a, you know, that wins an allowance with an 88 buyer somewhere that then steps up into these type, there is some, there's a different air that these horses are. And I think most people own horses, you get to that level and they look the same and then they go out and your horse loses by 20 lengths and you go, I can't ever be in the gate. And that was really what was so amazing about Bucaro. You know, it didn't matter how high we sent him, he competed. And, and, and the same thing, that's why I had faith in get smoking. I said, we've never asked him to go a mile and a half. This horse can do anything for us. And, you know, listen, obviously he could have run last by 20, but he would have tried damn hard doing it and he wouldn't have been intimidated. Amen. I'll tell you somebody else who does breathe a different air. That's our buddy here, Jeff Riggs. It's time to let Jeff Riggs get into the convo. Right, Jeff? Man, that's quite an introduction there, Alan. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Arlen, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about uh, managing Iron Horse. So, as you said, the most expensive horse that uh, you guys have, have acquired so far is about 200 k and you've had multiple graded stakes winners. Um, what kind of things do you look at when looking to acquire a horse? And um, do you mostly look at private purchases or do you like two-year-old sales, um, you know, yearling sales? What Where do you usually find most of your horses for the partnerships? Right. So traditionally, um, we have bought yearlings and two-year-olds. Bucara was a two-year-old purchase. Momos was a two-year-old purchase. Um, we bought a couple, a couple yearlings that have panned out pretty well. We bred some horses. Uh, we have a nice little Indiana bred named Jeopardy Theory who we bred. Um, but, uh, Smokin was our one, first entree into buying horse privately. Uh, that market has become 
extremely expensive and difficult. You know, I'm sure you guys watch races and, you know, you can watch a race and, you know, the first thing in my head is, you know, how much is it going to sell for and how many calls are they going to get? Um, and so that has become a market that we probably can't get too involved in either. So we're probably gonna have to keep doing it the hard way and, um, buying yearlings, buying two year olds. We can't compete, um, with, with, the, with the big guys, even though we want to put our horse in the gate with them. Uh, so I do two things with the partners. We, we really look for value. We really look for athletes. Um, everyone says it, but you know, when you buy a million dollar horse and said, I'm just looking for athletes, you know, you're probably getting a little more than just the athlete. You're getting a huge pedigree and you know, the, one of the best horses out there. So we kind of, again, we have to zig when people zag the, the, the Bucero story is probably the epitome of it. Um, you know, he's a first year sire. That was his first crop Cantheros and, um, the horse breezed absolutely lights out. Beautiful specimen, but look, it's a, it's Cantheros first crop, $5,000 Florida stallion. And, um, he had a little, a little vet issue. And that's a lot of times going to be what, what guys in my market price are going to have to look. You're going to have to live with something. Um, and, you know, usually buying a huge pedigree with a ton of issues isn't going to get you as far as getting a nice athlete, um, you know, that maybe has something. And we have a really good team, uh, that's helped quite a bit. Um, uh, that really helps us find that. That being said, everyone's looking for this, right? Um, you know, we're all, we're all looking for that uh, needle in the haystack. And really for me, my biggest, uh, my biggest, uh, kind of motto is we just can't overspend on any single horse because it may be the first horse we buy in a cycle of 10, or it may be the 10th horse we buy in a cycle of 10. You know, we really hope, we hope every, Seven to ten horses is special, if that makes sense. Because really, historically, if you really look at it, that's probably in the, the, the crops of horses. You could probably expect that. So, you know, we try to get two out of ten. You know, we've had it. We have a, you know, we've, we bought some really, you know, we bought Beauty to Sea for $25,000. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example of what we're looking for. Beauty to Sea is a bouquet. Obviously, we had our eyes on her. She won the, um, um, oh my lord, the Blue Sparkler, the Blue yeah. Sparkler Monmouth. She is a little pocket rocket. Um, you know, you go to some of these two-year-old sales, and when you go to a two-year-old sale or a yearling sale, you're only as big as the other horses in the consignment, right? So when they pull you out and the other horses are big old, you know, strapping horses, you look even smaller. And, you know, she she was – I called and we bought her my little Buccaro. She's just my mini Buccaro. Looks just like him, acts just like him. But, you know, people aren't buying smaller horses. And, you know, we were able to get her for 25000 She's made 130000 She's a stakes winner. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's what we're doing. We really – I want to – I just don't want the big hit, you know, the big, big – so we don't – we you know, that 200 is kind of a spot where I feel like even if we spend that, you know, we can manage the horse appropriately and maybe extract some, you know – even if the horse doesn't become a stakes horse, you know, win a maiden special weight, win a maiden 50, you know, win a allowance, you know, somewhere and, and get a chunk of our money back and move to the next one. Right. It sounds like that's the, the financial planner coming out in you, too, of diversifying the assets. Yeah. Hit it right on the head. Hit it right on the head. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, get smoking and Bucaro, uh really excelling on the turf. Is there anything specific that – you feel like you have an edge and some sneaky turf pedigree or do you target turf horses or has it just sort of the chips fallen that way for you so far? 
Well, okay, so the two parts to that. Obviously, uh, Bucero, believe it or not, you know, a lot of people, you know, we stood him in Stallion and said, well, he's a turf sprinter. You know, ironically, his best rag number was uh, was dirt sprinting. And, you know, the horse won two, you know, they were Indiana bred, but open, you know, uh, you know, three and up stakes going a mile on a 16. So he had talent across the board. However, his sire, Cantheros, um, has really kind of turned into a pretty turf-based stallion, in my mind. Mm-hmm. He has some dirt horses. So, you know, I think that's obviously coming through in Bukera. I think he's going to have dirt. So we have a nice horse, uh, a nice Bukera, Bookham Dano, who won the Smoke Lacken this weekend. It was a pretty big Saturday uh, for me watching races. Um, but let's be realistic. Um, you're paying $3 million for an intermischief to win the Kentucky Derby. And you're spending a million dollars for uh, Uncle Mo to win the Kentucky Derby. You're not doing it to win the Woodford, um, or even the or even the Kentucky Turf Cup. So you know, look, the reality is, is we just don't have the 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 the, the gunpowder <laughs> to to go and chase those horses. Is one going to come along? I'm certain of it. You know, we're going to get a value horse. Look, we know this, right? I mean, look at the horse. Look at Archangel. You know, I mean, you don't have to spend that much, but you're going to have to buy a lot of them to find those types of horses. So, yes, we lean a little bit towards turf. Um, because of that, but you know, it's, um, it's, it, it's an, it's an interesting game in the sense that turf, especially like Kentucky Downs, I think, and especially with some of the stuff that's going on with the safety, I think we're going to see a lot more turf. I think we're going to see a lot more synthetic. Um, and uh, be careful what you wish for. Uh, you know, people are going to be spending $3 million for turf horses in a couple of years. Right, right. But if you can get ahead of the game, it's the way to right. do it. For sure. Exactly. Uh, looking at the Iron Horse website, I, I saw a little piece on there about a, a string in Australia. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, so yeah, this kind of goes along with our uh, our experiment, uh, you know, sending a horse over to Bucero, uh, sending a Bucero over to the UK that we're going to be uh, offering actually out to partners in, within the next week. Um, the Australian, I met some people through again through my ascot. I actually met this one uh, when I went to the Hong Kong International Races, and I know it's not an easy trip. Um, but I always tell people if you can get to Ascot once and you can get to Sha Tin for the, the international races in December in Hong Kong, uh, is just two experiences that you're never going to forget. But I met him and uh, I just want to kind of tip my toes in in Australia. You know, it's a country that is probably more passionate about racing than any other place on the planet. Um, and we bought into a package of, uh, five yearlings, a very, very small percentage just to get a taste of it. And uh, we're having fun with none of them have really, uh, have, have, have gotten to where they hopefully are going to get to, but, uh, we're really enjoying it. Um, probably is not going to be a major focus now uh, that we're trying this UK Bucero, but, uh, uh our partner's enjoying, uh, waking up at two 30 in the morning, trying to watch their horses. <laughs> That's cool. Very cool. Have you been to Australia or do you have plans to go there once they start going? Well, I did. When I bought in, I said to my wife, I thought this was my one way to get to go to a race in Australia. I, uh, I said, when one of these is a group one race, I'm going to Australia. Well, none of them have broke their maiden yet, so she's safe. Um, but I, I, I did go to Australia about, uh, 25 years ago and it's a great place and, uh, I'd love to experience it. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's something down the road. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, that's, that's cool that you get to travel the world with something you love as well. That's, that's very cool. Um, Absolutely. I think I'll, I'll kick it back to you. Do you have anything else? Uh, yes, sir. I, I do have, I think I read Harlan that you bought a mare last fall or winter at Tattersall's that was previously owned by Queen Elizabeth II, a, a filly named uh, Improvise. Is that correct? 
We did. We did. And it was interesting. Um, we bought the, we bought her and the plan was to breed her, um, immediately. And she's well bred. She fits. We really wanted to make a turf sprinter. She's built like a turf sprinter. And we bought her. We brought her over and we said, you know, she's still in training. Let's train her. And, uh, I think anybody that's owned horses, and I think with horses, we're still safe in making a differentiation uh, here. Um, boy, Phillies can trick you sometimes, man. Um, the geldings are pretty much just going to put their heads down and run. These Phillies can look great in the morning and then get in the races and go, you know, this is really hard, man. You know, I could just have a baby and probably do this also. And she kind of tricked us a little bit. She, you know, we tried to run her a couple times and, uh, she gave us a little bit of hint of her talent, but just never really got to level that was it. So, you know what she's doing? She's got exactly what she wants. She's eating beautiful grass in Lexington right now. And, uh, she'll have a date with Bucero, uh, probably on Valentine's Day. Well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, you can't take that away from her. She was still owned by the queen. So, you know, you got some pretty rich bloodlines there, I would imagine, right? Yes, well-bred. Uh, she has a couple really nice, you know, she's a full sibling that was a, you know, a stakes horse. And uh, we're actually hoping there is a two-year-old out there by Galileo that uh, I'm hoping makes it somewhere. Um, but her sister just sold uh, for a nice price in full to Sioux Nation. It's a family. I think Coolmore is a part of that family now over in Ireland. So it, it is, it's a nice family and the long plan plan. Look, Bucaro has done phenomenal. We bred to a lot of mares that, um, you know, are, are kind of, again, lower level mares and that's appropriate. You know, Bucaro has had to prove himself and we've been, you know, trying to upgrade a little bit, you know, the bloodlines we're bringing to Bucaro. He's look, he has, he has 44 winners from his first 74 runners. Um, and a lot of these mares, you know, never produced a winner. Um, so our goal kind of heading into this year is to just kind of upgrade that mare population. And uh, this was one of the steps of it. Okay. Last question. Uh, in honor of our co-host, Brandon Jaggers, who's flying back from Kentucky Downs right now on a private jet. Do you Fancy. have anything on the horizon that uh, may maybe a two year old or something we can keep an <laughs> eye on? Um, well, uh, probably our next two year old debuting is a Omaha Beach um, out of the family of um um, Cafe Faro and, um, Regal wow. Glory and Regal Glory. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, nice. and she's been with Mark Cassie. She's at Churchill with David Carroll and, uh, she's been training forwardly. Uh, we're going to be debuting in a two turn race, which is always a lot to ask of a two year old. Um, but we're targeting a race at Churchill, um, a two year old main special weight going two turns. So she's one that, um, I think she's probably, uh, one that's going to develop a big leggy, uh, pretty horse and, uh, we'll probably develop a little bit, but we're, uh, we're optimistic about her future. I'm not sure she's a first outer, but, um, I think she's going to put a good, uh, a good showing for herself. Yeah, Omaha Beach off to a good start already in his first crop. So that's, uh, that's good to hear. All right. So, uh, Harlan, we, we appreciate your time. Congratulations on, on the big victory. That was, uh, I'm sure that was amazing for you and, and, and your friends and your partners and, and whatnot. That was, uh, that was outstanding to watch. We, we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to, to join us and, and to talk horse racing and, and we wish you nothing but the best going forward. Really, I really appreciate it. And, and I'll tell you what, you know, I think, you know, people say, oh, there's all these podcasts out here. You know, so, you know man, I, everybody who loves horse racing, they could do it 24-7. So the more, the merrier. And I love getting out there and talking. And, uh, you know, I just I, I love the sport and I just, uh, you know, hope people keep staying enthusiastic about it through some of these, you know, some of these little bit bumps we're having here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more we talk about all the great stuff about it, the, the better for the sport. 
Absolutely. Well, yeah, it's a whole lot more fun with people like you involved. Very well, I appreciate that. Okay, everybody, this is Harlan Malter, the owner of Get Smoking, winner of the Kentucky Turf Cup. Okay, guys, Saturday night uh, at church, excuse me, not Saturday night, Saturday afternoon at Churchill Downs, they're running a, a very important card, probably going to have uh, some impact on the Breeders' Cup. We'll just gloss over these races real quick since we don't have a whole lot of time, guys. Uh, uh, fourth race, the Louisville Thoroughbred Society, actually uh, a race that our uh, supreme leader, Michelle Lovell, yes. a few years ago with Just Might. Uh, the inaugural version, the inaugural version, right? Yes, and uh, this is uh, sets up to be a very interesting spot as you have Bango, uh, who is – Bidding to break the record for stakes victories at Churchill, as I understand it. Bangle's going to take on Strobe from Brad Cox and Godolphin. Uh, Bango, even money on the morning line. Strobe, six to five. And uh, what do we think here, guys? Bango. I, I, I think Strobe's always just a tad bit over bet. I think you know, resume to resume, Bangle towers over Strobe. I think Strobe's a fast horse. But, I mean, and I'm pulling for Bangle. Don't get me wrong. I like to see him break the record. But you got to. We talked to Travis Foley earlier a couple months ago. They they want this record. They laid this horse up, and just like he's, he's come back opening weekend at Churchill. I got to think this horse is sitting on ready. It's bango for me. Yep, I, I totally agree with you, Alan. I'm glad that Strobe is in this race because Strobe has a following. Strobe always gets bet. I think this is Mr. Churchill Downs Bango's. Time to shine. I think he, he wins this race easily. He's a single for me everywhere. Oh, yeah. Well, stroh has been kind of a disappointment. Ever, ever since he, he broke his maiden on Derby Day, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's dominated lounge ranks, but he stepped up in the stakes company several times and lost. And that last one was really disappointing at 1-5 to five in Iowa, in, the, in that Iowa sprint at Prairie Meadows. That was really – I don't know if you can trust this horse again. So Let, let me ask you something. This is where sometimes, like we, we always, I always, we always talk about price and stuff, and everyone should talk about price. Prices doesn't always mean the thirteen to one shot or the twenty-two to one shot. It's like when I see Bangle and even money, and I and I see Strobe at six to five. First of all, I think there's gonna be a greater disparity in there. I think it's more like three to five and, and eight to five. But I, I would, you know, I would rather have Bangle with even money than I would Strobe at six to five. Is that fair to say, uh, Jeff? Oh, absolutely. I agree, and I also agree that I don't think we're actually gonna get even money on Bangle. Especially, you know, everybody know that he's going for the record and everything. But um and you know, it's it's tough to bet a horse at three to five, four to five, three to five definitely not, but I tell you what, I don't think four to five is a bad price on Bango in here. I think he's a very, very likely winner. Yeah, I just and of course he's 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 easy to pull for. And I believe right. in when Michelle won this race with uh Just Might, uh if I'm not mistaken, I wanna say Bango may run third in that. In the inaugural Louisville Thoroughbred Society, yeah, so I think yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Bengals okay. turned it up a notch of late. So let's uh, thumb ahead to race six at the Open Mind, three hundred thousand dollars, six furlongs, a heavy favorite, number two, Wicked Halo, three to five morning line. Uh, I had to work for it last time in the Twin Bridges. I remember she was, uh, yeah, she was one to five in that spot. Kind of, kind of had to hustle to win that. What wasn't her best effort? But again, you know, probably faces a field that's beneath her. 
Yeah, I think she lays. She, I don't think it's the greatest Churchill. I think the, the Thursday Churchill card from a glance is probably a little better card. This is more of a card I would probably watch as a fan because I like. I'm a fan of Wicked Hale. I'm a fan of Bango. I think Wicked Hale is going to trip out real well behind that. Yugiri, I guess Yugiri on Yugiri's best day might be able to hang on, but I, I kind of think Wicked Hale wins this race. The Brian Lynch horse, who's who's had some success uh, in, uh, last year, it could, maybe could fatten your exact, but this is one I would watch. Just like the Bengal race, I would simply watch as a fan, but I'm it's wicked hail, right? I'm, I'm you know, I, I, and I like trying to come up with uh, uh, different options, but Jeff, do they, do they beat wicked halo in the spot? I don't, I'm not going to try and beat wicked halo here. I'm going to try and find a little bit of value using sharp hero underneath just to a straight exacto wicked halo sure. over sharp hero. Uh, that was just really kind of been improving this year. It's ran some really nice races. Um, Nice win last time at Hawthorne, and then two back was only three-quarters of a length behind, uh, what is it, Ouvre, Ouvre? I can never remember how to say her name. But, uh, yeah, just uh, came back and won at Kentucky Downs. So I think this is one that maybe is kind of the now horse, and at a price can spice up the exacta a little bit. Okay, moving right along to race seven is the Pocahontas. I think this race used to be running a mile and 16th. Now they shortened it to a mile, be a one-turn mile. And I think, I feel like this is a type of race where you can might be able to get a price on some of these up and comers. I think the, uh, the favorites may be, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not enthralled with their chances, but uh, we'll see what you guys say. I say it all the time and, and I've said, and it's, it's proven, I'm not saying that I won on the horses, but two year olds stretching out this time of year, particularly at these long one turn distances. I mean, you don't, nothing, anything can happen. Anything should happen. You should never be surprised. I can think of two instances off the top of my head, right? Seven furlongs, they go at Ellis Park uh, in their juvenile race, right? In Baytown Chatterbox where Paul McEntee wins at 55 to 1. Cause it, it's a different animal. These horses, are, they, they either peak too early or they're they're fast and they get they hooked up in pay stools or whatever. The, the, the complexion of the race, they're going up against a bunch of horses who run the way they run. And they got that long extended one turn. This is a one turn mile. Baytown Chatterbox Box did it at Ellis 54 to 1. And then you had a Nutella fellow do it at Saratoga at about 54 to 1 as well in the seven furlong race. You should never be surprised this time of year when two year olds mature and they get a route of ground, particularly the one turn mile of the seven furlong race. I don't know if focuses on the mile on the 16th, but there's no reason this race couldn't fall apart. I mean, there's BB's dream has looked like a monster. Right, and the horse may still be a monster. Looks like McPeak is waiting for this spot. I believe the horse is a one-turn horse. That said, I mean, am I going to overlook a horse like Corbay for Todd Pletcher, who looked every bit the one-turn, extended one-turn horse at Ellis? No, I mean that's who interests me is Corbay. But uh, again, in these races, nothing surprises me, nor should it. Jeff, CC, yeah. I agree with you. There's a. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anyone in here would really shock me. I mean, there are, there's so much upside with, with these babies. And as you said, nobody's gone a mile. Um, well, I guess, you know, the two has gone a mile, but most of them are stretching out. Most of the ones that are in the major contenders are stretching out. You don't really know how they're going to react to it, what the speed's going to look like. And the two favorites, as you said, they have, you know, they kind of have question marks. VB's dream looked like, the best horse I've ever seen. <laughs> I agree with you there. And still and, may be. 
Yeah, still may be, but, you know, took the little step back and then has had some time off, so may come back and just crush these, but there's enough question marks there not to take a short price. Uh, you almost had me, you know, did have that stumble at the start last time, but everybody saw that. So, you know, if, if it really was just kind of taking a step back, stretching out the seven furlongs, then, you know, you can sort of play against that one as well. Hot Beach kind of had everything her own way. I, I agree with you. I think we are, we are looking for a price in here for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, this time, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but this time of year, I always talk about, man, you better be blind betting McPeak in some of the, when he goes off at a price and he, at these, at this time of year, he, he points at this time of year and he's horses stretch out. You're going to see your share of 13 to ones and 20 to ones. You'll have an 18 to one first time starter winning two turns. Just mm-hmm. here, we're in the fall. McPeak and Brian Hernandez, just keep that in mind. I'm not saying it's going to happen on Saturday. It's going to happen tomorrow. But And then you're going to have Norm Cassie's horse. They're going to, you know, the, the two-year-olds stretching out are always fun. They're always great wagering opportunities on these cards. Let's uh, skip ahead to race nine. It's Iroquois, 300,000, another one at a, at a one-turn mile. Risk it for Steve Asmussen, Winchell Thoroughbreds. I believe that's Three Chimneys Farm. Uh, number eight horse risk it at two to one for Tyler Gaffleyon. Horse broke his maiden at Saratoga fairly easily in a field of seven. Gosh, you know, when I think of these one turn miles, I think, you know, you, you're probably going to get some horses that are just going to gun to the lead and he's probably going to be one of them. So again, I think maybe we're looking at a price here. I don't know. I mean, it's, I haven't looked at the race closely enough yet, but this could be one of those races where a horse. Yeah, maybe they stop running. They run a 14 second last uh, eighth of a mile or whatever, a 26 second quarter mile, and somebody comes up to win, or somebody is just simply brilliant has been pointed for this spot. Uh, I don't have a a strong opinion. Uh, you know, you you actually intrigues me a little bit though. I will say is, and I never thought I'd say this, to seize the gray with Jamie Torres and Wayne Lucas. I'm not saying my bet towards. The only reason I say that he intrigues me is because I know he won at Saratoga to price against a really good field, but that was on an inside speed bias track. So I thought that lended to his wire-to-wire win. And then the next race, he doesn't break and actually runs equally as well, if not more so, because he comes from off the pace that day. So I, I find that intriguing that he can do both things. I, I kind of knocked him after he won that race when I was watching Saratoga that day. So I find him intriguing, but I, I don't have an opinion, but uh, that's a cop-out. But maybe one of you gentlemen do. I, I do think that there is quite a bit of speed in here, for sure. And a lot of them want the lead. Risk it looked like, you know, he could be any type, but he's going to be a short price. Um, the one that intrigues me the most is Union Roll for Pletcher, the three. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Showed the ability to sit off. I, I do think it's going to be a, a little bit of a mad dash early on, and as these stretch out, it could be a bit of a stagger fest late, and this one uh, showed the ability to, to run on and pass horses, and, you know, Pletcher's pretty much always improve as they stretch out, so I, I feel like we're going to see a step forward from this one at a minimum. But you see, so you got any, any opinion? But don't overlook seven Gettysburg Address. That's Brad Cox and Flavian Pratt at 12 to 1. Oh, yeah. That's, uh-huh. uh, that, you know, I don't think you'll get 12 to 1 on that horse, but uh, I think you'll get a price. I think everybody's going to gravitate toward risk it. So yeah, mm-hmm. that, again, again, this is a, a good spot to uh, to maybe get get something six, seven, eight to one, something like that. But I, that's I, a, I, your your point on Gaysburg address is well taken. I'm glad you brought it up simply because yeah, well, oh, it's Brad Cox. Yeah, but it's also a horse that's probably going to get slightly overlooked in the wagering. I mean, it will come down from twelve to one, even though it's got Flavian Pratt on because the horse was eight. It was a Brad Cox horse that was eighth one at Ellis, and people were like, well, "What's up with that?" 
Did they going to yeah. maybe diminish the, the the field because he took no money? It was Martin, uh, I believe it's Schwan who wrote him that day, and it wasn't the fastest figure. But that said, these horses they can improve second time out. They, I mean, they, they may have just got what they needed out of the day and he fired today. So you, Cox and Pratt, if they win at six to one, you're liable to be kicking yourself in the ass, right? So yeah, I, I think you make a really good point about that. How, is it possible to kick yourself in the ass? Uh, it depends on how long your legs are and how old your ass hangs, I suppose, right? <laughs> I guess if you did it, if you kick backwards, like hike your leg up. Yeah, I, at this age, my knees are already fucked, so I, I'm sure I can't do it. But um, well, maybe there are some uh, some acrobats or some gymnastics or some gymnasts who could do it. And last race we will cover, race ten. This is this is the Locust Grove four thousand dollar purse, but it's just a grade three. It's incredible. These races are going to eventually improve with their graded status, I would think, over time. But uh, this this turns out to be a nice race. You've got search results breaking from the four hole, and just here inside is Leda Vida in post position three for Nacho Correa's Victor Chaminade. This is uh ah man, is it a two horse race really? Uh, oh, could, well, could be. Oh, I, yeah, I don't think so at all. I think it is wide open. Go ahead, Jeff, because, yeah, well, I, I agree with you there. And it, it might just be because I don't have an opinion, but I'm struggling to even really come up with what the pace is going to look like here. Um, there are a lot of horses that have kind of showed different dimensions. Nobody really wants to lead. Could be one, just a just more of a rider's race, see where things uh, shake out and who gets the best trip might win this one. I, I do think that those those two that CC were talking about are going to take the majority of the money, and I think they deserve it. I'm not really against those two. It's just more that I don't think that they tower above this field on numbers, and with not knowing how the pace is going to shake out, that's when weird things can happen sometimes. Somebody gets a little bit of a bad trip. They get hung wide. They get stuck behind horses. Um, I would use as many as I can in, in this in my multi-race wagers. What do you guys think? Uh, you make you make a great point about the pace. I, I like in the Derby every year we'll have these horses who are stalkers and they're like a ten, eight horses be stalkers and you got to figure the stalker who's not going to get their stalking trip who's going to be eleventh is not going to like it. Uh, mm-hmm. This one's different because it's a field full of stalkers it seems like and nobody wants the pure speed to take the lead right. You, yep. This is where someone who's cagey like a Flavian Pratt says you know what he recognizes this. Well, all these stalkers get out of their comfort zone. If I just gun the lead and, and take it with a horse like a Mulray, I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm just I'm just surmising that no one actually has true speed. Someone will go to the front if if I'm riding this race. But if, if anybody wants a 205 pound fat ass on their horse and lets me get on the horse, I would push. I would punch the gun and try to and try to frustrate a lot of the uh, stalkers. Some of these stalkers are get hung five wide. Mm-hmm. Um, so Amore is yeah, I, I I do like that one here. Maybe hidden connection sends. I've never been a fan of Misty Vale. Uh, in search results, is search results going to end up being a favorite? Yes. Is he going to be take late money? It'll be a late click that puts him down to say seven to five in my mind. And search results is I've I've given up on that horse. He he does have a nice bankroll. He's got a nice record, but he's a hanger. And there's no reason he shouldn't have won last out. I believe was it, it was it Monmouth? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, seven to five, let him beat you. I know it's Tyler, but so what? I mean, the horse just doesn't like to win, so I don't know how you can take a horse like that. But I, I find Falcon Ed, Falcon Ed intriguing him all right. Like you, don't have a strong opinion. 
I found the pace intriguing just like you did too, Jeff. But I, I find Falconet and, and Mulray is the ones I'll probably lean on. Uh, so maybe CC does think it's a two-horse race. It's amazing. I mean, search results, you draw a line through that Molly Pitcher at Monmouth, and she's three to five right in here. Uh, I thought she was locking in the, I thought she was locking the yeah, Molly Pitcher. Yeah. That's my problem. I, I think she ran her best thoroughgraph at, at Monmouth. So you would think she'd like that track, but she didn't, she didn't run well at all. And, uh, but you know, that was a, a decent field. And shotgun hotties turned out to be okay. And Leda Vita's, uh, in this race. Yeah. Has turned out, turned out well. Now, yeah, I, I think Leda Vita is the one I would be interested in the most if you could get a decent price on her. Uh, you know, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, interesting race. I wouldn't know what to do with Amo Ray, Amo Ray. And uh, a lot of the others in here I don't care for. Falconet may be an up-and-comer, but I don't like that 10-hole, unless she scratches down into the to a closer post to the rail. But, uh, but That goes back to the whole stalking thing, right? This horse might be able to sit a little bit further off than some of the other ones do. But like I said, that would worry me if, if I'm trying to handicap the pace of the race with a bunch of stalkers in the race. I would worry that some of the stalkers could get hung wide. A Falconet, you know, I do think Falconet's a better horse than people prepare for. But I could mm. see that one maybe getting hung wide because – they all can't stalk without losing a ton of ground. So, Pauline's so Pearl. Yeah. What about Pauline's Pearl? She's eight for 19 lifetime and looked like she'd gone off form. And then she won the three-horse Florida Lee, where she beat Amore. You know, that, that's uh, – I'd given up on her. And now, you know, she's – I'd given up on her. But I, I, I'm just going to chalk that to flukish three-horse – shit happens in three-horse fields, especially when everybody stays close to the pace or whatever. I mean, was it Rosario that day? I think it might have been Rosario. It was. It was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe he just he, – he rode a good race. Um, I mean, I don't know. As Jeff said, he'd use a bunch. Would you – Would you? what's been your top-tier candidates, Jeff? Well, Pauline's Pearl is just one of those horses, and I know you guys have these two where you can just never get on the right side of. If I knew I'm you were going to say it, bingo. You were 100% right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I just I just can't win with her, or if I'm on her, she'll, she won't run. If I'm against her, she somehow wins. Like, yeah, I, I had her third of the three last time, and, of course, she wins that and, and knocks me out of everything. But, um, you know, if I'm if I'm going deep here, I will use her just because I don't want to get beat by her, but I, I don't have any confidence in her. Yeah, I think with her maybe the, 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 this is, I'll, I'll take a 50-50 approach. That way she can't really beat me either way. Uh, yeah. Let's go with that. So, by the way, isn't it nice to have Churchill back racing on their home track? With you know, we we haven't haven't mentioned the fact that they had to abort their meet early for reasons that probably didn't need to happen, quite frankly. Um, so it's nice that they're back, and they actually, in fairness to people, they did play it well. Uh, they just got the heat off. They moved back. No one's talking about it now. I believe mm-hmm. that the track service is fair and safe, and, and I know uh, a lot of the horsemen do as well, too. It's nice to have them back. Correct, guys? Oh, it is. And if you're going to be able to make it out there this weekend, Thursday through Sunday, the weather is supposed to be glorious. So it it, it should be a really nice return back, back home for Churchill Downs Racing. I hope I can get out there one day. We'll see. Maybe Saturday or Sunday. I don't know. We'll see. CC, you? Uh, I can't make it. I work. Some people got work for a living, unlike you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got like 45 minutes free today to do this. That's about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, last thing, we want to give a shout out and a big congratulations to a former guest, Joel Politti, who sold his, that we talked about on this podcast. He, he had a fold by uh, 
into mischief out of his Kentucky Oaks winner, Serengeti Empress. He sold the resulting foal, a colt, for $1.2 million at the Keeneland September yearling sale. I believe that was on Monday now. Time's getting away from me. But, mm-hmm. yeah, $1.2 million. He sent me some pictures of the horse, and uh, the horse got up on his hind legs. I'm sure everybody involved was just about to freak out. I'm sure they're – the, the horse flips over. They're probably, you know, anything could have happened at that point. That horse, uh, he held it together. They ran him through the ring. And I don't even know who the buyer was, but uh, I forgot to check. But it, you know, $1.2 million, uh, that was uh, a nice payday for Joel. And he's a good guy. And mm-hmm. we uh, we applaud him. So, uh, yeah, that was great. Uh, I, b- I believe the buyer was a – I saw a guy with a fake mustache down there. I think his name was Brendan Juggers. Uh, put down oh, the 1.2 yes. million, right? Uh, came out as a Learjet from Franklin, Kentucky, Brendan Juggers. So, congratulations, Brendan. I think you got a nice horse there. All right. <laughs> Anything else, guys? Uh, no, no. That 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 should do it. Uh, actually, you know, I, I mentioned earlier how the racing. Sometimes I get a little iffy. The racing, sometimes I kind of drift away from it a little bit. I will say, you know, football season kicks in right here, and there's other a lot of other things going on. Uh, it, it, the Churchill, the September Churchill, uh, November Churchill, Keeneland, it's, it's actually a really good time. It, it, and the two-year-olds are going to distance around it. It's a good time for, uh, for racing around here. All right. Well, next podcast, we'll talk about how I think college football is stupid. <laughs> that should be interesting. Why not? Let's branch out. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that another time, though. But, yeah. All right. So that's it. Uh, on behalf of – Brendan Juggers, who's probably in the air somewhere over uh, I-65, and our guest, Harlan, Harlan Malter of Iron Horse Racing, and Alan Schneider and Jeff Riggs. I'm CC Broadus reminding you in the words of Jerry Romans, we're not happy unless you're not happy. Good night. Six down, 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 down,